0: welcome to conversations at the well i'm kim pino and every week my daughter caroline and i discuss life's issues in a multi-generational bible-centered conversation our goal is to connect women of all ages and backgrounds to jesus the living water and to each other if you're looking for a place to be refreshed in a world that seems to be running dry of truth you've come to the right place so pull up a chair have a seat and join the conversation of nothing but you welcome and we're really excited in this episode to have a friend that i haven't seen in a long time it's been too long mia imbro i'm gonna let mia introduce herself so mia if you'll just kind of give us a little bit about who you are i am mia that's all you probably really need to know but it's my
1: privilege to be here i am not one to Tout anything except that I have enough years behind me that I probably have more behind me than in front of me. Maybe, maybe I'm right in the middle. Whatever God's plan is, but enough to know that I do not know everything, but I have learned an awful lot, uh, and that God has put me in places as a therapist and a counselor, and now as a consultant that works in organizational wellness um, to be in charge of the care and keeping of human beings, which is what I love to do and to talk about soul impact and not just the outward. Uh, 3% of the iceberg, but below the water, the 97%, the soul, and the care and keeping of that and leaders inviting me into their forums to learn how to do that and be taught to do that well and how to wrestle with hard things as well. And of course, my faith and love of Jesus Christ is at the first and foremost, but he has allowed me to be at the well many times with many different people. And I don't know how to do anything other than that. Um, and he keeps growing that and expanding it and making it deeper and holding me accountable. And so anytime I can sit in conversation, especially with women, um, to talk about God, it is privilege. So that is it. It's just
0: Mia, Mia Imbro, and I'm just here to talk. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being gracious enough to come and spend this time at the well with us. I was introduced to Mia as a mom first. Her youngest, my oldest sons were in school together little Donovan Embro. Love that boy. I know he's a big man doing big man things now, but he'll always be little Donovan to me. And he and my son had a friendship all throughout school. And then Mia came on staff at the school where I taught, worked in the lower school, the elementary as a counselor there. And I have to tell you, Mia, two things that made me know the depth of your walk with God. Number one, it is your genuine kindness you have a kindness and a compassion and a self-control that doesn't come from the world and doesn't come from you. And I think that's very evident when when I see you in in all the different ways that I've seen you. You have a deep care and a deep compassion for people. And that comes across and a grace. And that's not just you. I see that in the way that your kids are raised, in the character that they have, and also your husband. Tony you know my son my oldest son Cameron he's big physically and always wanted to play football in lower school he wanted to play football but uh, we didn't want to expose him to the injury and so his fifth grade year Tony was a coach of a, of a of the football team of kids and Cameron would go and he would sit and watch i didn't know this but he would go after school i was finishing up you know doing my teaching he would go over there and he would just sit on the sidelines and pine away <laughs> to play. And finally he came and said, Mom, 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 you know, can I, I wanna play football, I wanna play football. And our plan was he wasn't gonna do it until he was in seventh grade when he would start in middle school when, you know, athletics, that's when they started playing. And he was like, I've gone out there and I sit and coach Imbros there. And the reason that Alfie and I decided to let Cameron play a year earlier than we normally would is because I knew the character of Tony Imbra and I trusted him. I trusted him that he wasn't going to push Cameron beyond physically where he needed to be, that he would be wise in the way that he would deal with those boys. And so we let him play. And you know what? It was great. Football was a really good thing for Cameron. It grew him up. It taught him lessons. It pushed him out of his comfort zone. And it started, though, with us saying we're going to trust in the character that we see of someone to shepherd our son. And so I have always been appreciative of not just you, but of your family. Uh, And so anything that you do, I've been interested in. I think it was last year, you posted something on your social media about a podcast episode. And I was like, Mia's doing a podcast? Well, I have got to listen to this podcast. So I pulled it up and I listened to a couple of episodes and I love it. And of course, being an English teacher, I love the title of it, What's on Your Soul's, because it's S O L E S. So I love the pun. I love the literary figurative language that you use with that. So tell us please, what is your podcast about? What's the intent and the purpose that you have for this? So first of all, I want to say, thank you.
1: Thank you for your gracious words towards our family. Uh, And I think the one thing you said that was correct is it has nothing to do with us. It is just all grace. And grace has been extended to our family. We have new mercies every day. God has shown us great favor. Uh, And we're very clear on that. And we feel like our calling then is to demonstrate that in human form to whoever is around us because nothing of ours is our own doing because of anything or who we are. But so for Tony and I will say, you know, it's interesting you said that about Tony because this is what I think is people see people and then they think that's a good person. Like that person has character and we trust it. But very rarely do we have time to like get the whole story behind the human being. And I think I would tell anybody if you're going to have anyone around your son, it would be Tony Ambro. And I say that not because he's my husband, but because as a person that has understood adversity and has um, worked really hard and learned lessons, but always been very humble about it. Even as my husband, I think that about him just holds everything very loosely, which is very biblical to me. I remember when my kid said, dad, when are you going to stop wearing crops? Like, You have got to grow up and stop wearing Crocs. And he was just like, "What's wrong with a good crop?" Like, I mean, they're just like, "Can you get a new pair?" So I'm just saying, to me, that epitomizes him. He's just like, "Whatever God gives me, I'm going to try to do well." But it has very little to do with me. And I think when he works around young men, he sees that in them. He sees the the doubt or the hesitancy or the uncertainty. And what he knows is, he remembers that part of himself when he was young. And he just knows that he can give that. He can pour into somebody anyway. So thank you for that. That will be important for him to hear because he doesn't get to hear it like I get to hear it because of my profession mm-hmm. versus... Engineers really don't talk about that a lot. So sure. I'm just going to say, so um, they have a different kind of brain in some ways, but I, but it's all good. It's all God. So thank you for that. And I appreciate that. The podcast is What's On Your Souls. And the reason that I decided to start a podcast, everyone was starting a podcast. I don't really like to do what everyone else does. Anyone who really knows me will tell that I'm kind of a, have a funk factor about me. Like if everybody's doing it, I'm not going to do it because then I feel like I'm going to get caught in complacency. And that is my worst nightmare. So, um, I, I did it because as a therapist, what would happen is my clients and people would come to me after a crisis had occurred. So after a situation had happened, after someone was unkind, After um, there was infidelity in a marriage, after an addiction happened, after there was a child who had kind of plummeted into anxiety and depression, they would come and it was my privilege to walk with them. But then I felt like God was saying, why won't you do this on the front end? Like the proactive, kind of like he does, like bring the peace on the front end, like provide tools, have conversations, say things that other people will not say, be real, be authentic because you know, because the people come to me behind the scenes. So everybody's always say I'm the back end of the computer. All that people ever see of most people is the website, like the pretty website. I am the behind the scenes where you have to go behind and say, does this work? Does this need to be updated? Is this no longer relevant or whatever? I've done that for 30 years mm-hmm. um, in all different kind of forms. And so I felt like, let me bring that into the forefront in a way that is comfortable, in a way that I know, I know that I love people. I know that I'm gentle with people. I am interested in people and their souls. So bring them into my house, sit them down at this beautiful kitchen island that I have, do something with it other than just use it for the Ambrose and let's talk about it. And let's call it what's on your souls. Now I use S-O-L-E-S because I say in our physical space, somebody comes into your house, you have a beautiful home, Somebody walks in and you can see that they have mud on their shoes. You can kindly ask, will you please take that off? And most people are obliged to do that because they're like, oh, yes, I don't want wherever I've been to track up your physical space. I don't want to get that all over your rug. It's just a common sense correlation, right? Sometimes you might make it past the threshold of someone's home. People are standing around with their shoes and then someone will say, what is that smell? What is that? So then everybody starts upturning the bottom of their soles and looking at it. And the person that's wearing the shoes said, I I didn't even know I had been there. I would have never tracked this in your home. I didn't know I stepped in it. Something must have happened, right? So it's an easy metaphor when you talk about it physically. But when you talk about it spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, we track our stuff on top of each other all the time. And we never take ownership of it. Or we're not even aware of it. We're not aware that, oh, that's me and my shoe. And now I've brought it into your space. And now I'm telling you that your space stinks. But you brought it. Right? And so that was the whole what's on your soul analogy. And the porch is that there's got to be a place, especially for those of us who love God. And if God has loved us the way that he says that, that we believe that he has and know that he has, there's got to be a way that we provide spaces for people to sit on the porch before they enter over the threshold, to remove their shoes, to slough off whatever is impeding the tread or the gait or their ability for the effectiveness of the sole of the shoe. There's got to be a safe way to do that without shame, blame, guilt, indictment, judgment, all the things that the Bible tells us we are not to be. There's got to be something that exemplifies love. So then that's how I came up with the whole porch, because I want you to sit on my porch. I want you to be comfortable. I want to have blankets on the porch. I want to have tea and water. I want there to be music. I will help you slough off whatever is on there so that you can regain whatever God's intention is for your soul. So the podcast is just people coming in and telling their stories about what they've learned, adversity lessons learned, wisdom, and doing that in a safe place where we just kind of let it go
2: out. I love that. I I feel like that's kind of a motto I I've at least tried to take with my friends and the people that I've met here at UT. I have gotten a little bit of a name for myself of always the person who asks too many questions of people. And somebody says, how you, I say, how you doing? They say, I'm doing good. I say, no, you're not. I can see on your face. You're not. Tell me what's wrong. Tell me what's wrong right now. And it has been a great privilege of mine to get to hear people's what's on people's souls mm-hmm. uh, and be a good steward of that and learn how to be a good steward of whenever people give you that mud or wipe that mud all over and say, I can take this. And I, and I even just love going of that from that analogy, you know, the mud, the dirt, we make that and we can turn it into something beautiful. We can make a beautiful clay pot out of it. We could, we could turn it into something that uh, the world might see as beautiful, just like the world, you know, sees that first little portion of you, your, your website, I was thinking of this when you said that. So the first thing is, so we
1: know that there's something broken because people become suspicious when you ask them questions, right? Because what we've become accustomed to is if you're asking me something, you're gathering information to use against me, right? That's like asking who had on those boots, right? Did you have on those boots? So it doesn't feel safe from the beginning, right? But that's how we've been so conditioned in the world now that when someone is asking something, it almost feels like a setup. So you, you're you not sure that they're for you. So then you withdraw, you withhold information. Right. And then the second thing is when you tell people, no, you're not good. I see you. The freedom of that. Right. Because people are people ask people how they feel all the time and how they're doing. But they really don't want to know or they already have a narrative about that human being. And they have a rationalization or justification about what you should have done so that you wouldn't feel that way, instead of just being with them at the well. Like just be quiet, reflective, active listening, basic one-on-one. I do I always tell people I do multi-million dollar corporations now teaching basic listening etiquette, how to be quiet, to empty your mind, to stop being the judge and jury, and just listen the same way God does with you every day. So for you to be able to do that innately. Caroline is something that people pay great amount of money because they have recklessly gone through their life running through humans with cat bloody butt- bodies everywhere. That's why I say casualties along the way because they're just about production, right? So it's all transactional, not transformational. Um, so if you do that innately, you're way ahead of the game, young lady. You will do great things.
2: That's awesome. I love to hear. Like that. I said, it's it's a great privilege to uh, to be able to do it, and every time it's done, I'm humbly reminded that it is it is only because I am an agent of God that I am allowed to hear so many people's stories. I, I have a joke that people just tell me stuff. I don't even ask them. Like they just they just tell me, and realizing that that's actually a a mission from God to be able to hear people's. Stories is is so cool. What comes to my mind whenever you're telling your story is, how did you get here? I know God obviously had a huge calling on your life and plucked you out and said, Mia Embro, you're mine and you're going to be a warrior for me. But were there women in your life or spiritual mentors in your life that, that helped you get to such an understanding of, of God's calling for you and just of the Bible and, and knowledge of God? So a couple of things are
1: running through. I'm trying to be an active listener when you're saying that, but my mind is a wizen. Uh, this is what I'm thinking is, first of all, I'm not, I never think of myself as being finished, right? Or complete. So always in progress of learning. And I think that's what allows me to meet people where they are is I don't forget, like I don't assume that I've made it. So now I'm going to pull these poor people up to, to be my level, Right. So they teach, it's always reciprocal. They teach me, I teach them. So when you ask about mentoring, I almost think about everyone in my life as a mentor, right? Because I think every human being is a lesson because every human being is an image bearer. So the goal for me is not to convince other humans to be me. It's what is the lesson that God has for me in my meeting of you? Not even necessarily what can I do for you, but what is he teaching me? And then in that, things might be highlighted that I think, oh, I might be able to halfway help you in that way. So let me do my best. Now, am I blessed to have been surrounded by mentors and a village? And I don't think I know any other way to do that, but to do it that way, because I don't trust myself enough to do this by myself since the time I was born. So I am a human being that is very fortunate in that I have never known my life and not known Jesus Christ. So that would be at four or five like the pastor standing me up on the table in front of the church to recite something, which should have been indicative, right? That I was then going to speak for a living. But um, my parents just sold out to Christ and my family, my ability to travel the world and help start missions since the time I was a little girl, was part of the music ministry, played the piano, part of the, ran the children's choir, taught Sunday school. So all of those kind of things that we do as Christians or whatever, just that's all that was part of my upbringing, doing that. And then going to faith-based schools my entire life. I am a product of Christian schools, K through graduate school. And then the parent of children that did that. So it's been the world but I have, but what that did is it gave me access to a lot of different people, not people that just look like me, people of different ages and experiences. And I was able to observe their talent. So there are mentors far and wide, and they almost hand me off, like from one to, because they're like, "You, her, she, someone must be with her at all times. So they hand me off in that way. But this is what I will tell you about those mentors, because I did think of this, trying to prep for this, like what is the consistent thing that God keeps bringing in front of me and in, in the form of people that are shepherding me, teaching me, holding me accountable, pulling me, speaking truth to me, but also inspiring me and showing the love of Christ in human form is they are they are truth tellers. They are smart. And when I say smart, I don't just mean academically smart, intuitively smart and understanding of people and understanding of graciousness and the rhythm of that, of stepping up and stepping back. They are aware of their own brokenness and very open about that. They're aware of their gifts and talents as well, but also have a great humility and humor about it. They make space for others. And when I say that, so if we're sitting at a table, they literally are the people that when people come in the room, will give up a seat or make room. Immediately, they don't really denote worthiness. Everybody has the same equitable worthiness, whether you are the person serving the food or the person eating it. Usually, my mentors are considerably older than me, but I think I have an old soul. So they just have stories of history that keep me aware and mindful. And then they're innovators. They're usually one of very few women in whatever circle they're in. So they're one of very few in a boardroom, one of very few in a surgery room, they're one of very. on a, whatever they're doing, there's not many women doing it. And those seem to be the women. Cause again, remember, I don't want to be like everybody. So big clusters make me nervous of the <laughs> same. So it has to be, cause I want to be, I want to be aware at all times and they're all and loving and funny and curious, uh, all of those. So many, there is not one mentor that I can name, but I want to say that I probably have had my, overabundant share of beautiful mentors in my life and women. I know some really powerful, strong, impressive women.
0: They're awesome. That's good. And I can see that in you. Uh, I can see that how that has rubbed off on you to give you a confidence. And I know from experience, I have had some powerful women, I don't know that the the world, it's not that they had big powerful, the world would have called them big powerful women, but who had a strength in them, who saw something in me and called that out in me. And and in doing that gave me a confidence because I thought to myself, wow, okay, if like, I think they're strong, if they see that in me, then I must be able to to do this when I don't think I do, and I think we all need those advocates in our lives. We need godly women who have discernment, and men. Uh, we we need godly individuals around us who have God's discernment, who are who have the boldness to tell us the the christness, I'm not going to use that, that they see us. You know you said we're all image bearers and that's true. But I think one of Satan's most sophisticated yet so simple at the same time devices is to put that block in front of us so that we don't see the image of Christ that we bear. I think Absolutely. if we look in the mirror and what we saw with Jesus in us, we would say, What can I not do? And we and we don't need to, to be afraid of that. And and I think that we are. I think we, we're in a world where we're so afraid to say mm-hmm. what we know to say.
1: So I almost thought about when you were saying they hold the mirror, it's like it's almost like if they they hold the mirror, or my mentors did and would say, You are an image bearer. Do you see that? But then they would move it and say, But you've got to take him with you. You are these, you're great, but only by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are this, right? So then your ego, because the ego and the fear are what destroy the world, right? When there becomes someone all knowing other than God Himself, or when we lose the Great Commission, the two things, right? Love Him, the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So either there's a lot of self hatred, or we don't know what love means. And I always say this to people, you can tell people to love, you can tell them to act like God, you can tell them, but you're making an erroneous assumption that they know what that means, right? That's like telling your child to go clean their room when they're five. I don't know if this ever happened to you, Kimberly Pino, but what would happen to me is when I would tell the young embryos to go do that, they would be gone for a very long time. And I would make the assumption, they must be like cleaning that room like none other. And then I would open the door And it would look the same, if not worse sometimes than what it looked like initially. And they would have been dancing and drawing and just laying and daydreaming. And then I asked them what they're doing. They said, well, I was cleaning my room. But that's not what the evidence that shows up. So I think the same with God. We tell people, I will pray for you. I, you know, just love or whatever. But we're assuming that when we say we're doing those things or when we ask other people to do those things, that they know how to do it. And the only way they know how to do it is if we've gotten down and dirty with them right, and sat with them and shared a sandwich or whatever, not standing high and looking low. So I think for my profession, that's where it comes in is the mentorship and all that. I think it's imperative. It's great. But we make a lot of assumptions based on what people say versus the footprint we see them leaving Hmm. their boot print on their soul. And so I think it's about emotional wellness and spirit, you know, healing and reconciliation so that you're healthy enough to mentor someone. You don't have to be perfect, but you need to be aware and you need to be healthy and you need to know if you're toxic and contagious. Yes. You yes. Need to know those
2: things. Yeah. I heard a, I heard a, a sermon a couple of weeks ago and our pastor was talking about mentoring. And he said, uh, one of Satan's biggest devices against mentors is impatience. And the words that you just said kind of put some context behind that, because I think if we get in the position of mentoring somebody else or somebody else is coming and kind of burying their soul and wiping that mud on us, we have the expectation that, okay, I'm going to give you this advice or I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. And I've been caught so many times uh, in anger by Satan because of my impatience.
1: That was so good. That was a word. That'll preach. That was great. You know what I do? I do the same thing. And what, and because what happens, it's this weird dynamic, right? So the more that you are blessed with like educational ability, intellect, wisdom, or just comfort, right? You do get a little impatient with people because you think, because you, your your view, right? Your window has now been customized. And so you're only looking out of that, right? And it's a problem. And so what I do to try to normalize that, and I fail a lot, Caroline, but it is because I too found myself like that. Like if you would just do this, right? And then I see it, when I see the world do it, I'm appalled by it. But then I think, oh, but I'm doing that. So then what I think of is when I open my eyes in the morning, I go, oh, new mercies every day. Because I know good and well the day before, I did not do exactly what God, according to how good God has been to me, I should be like, like just, and I know that I still do, so who am I not to grant to another human being what God grants to me every second of every day, that impatience, right? I'm sure he's just sometimes like, for goodness sake, Ambro, are you kidding me, right? Like, But he keeps new mercies every single day. So I think that's what we have to remember. You're right. It's hard. Grace extending forgiveness every day, new mercies, and patience, because that is the God that I serve. But you're right. Someone has to keep telling you that, right? If you're going to mentor, if you're going to put your fingerprints on another human being, you better hold yourself accountable for being all those things, right? Loving, kind, the fruits of the spirit better be oozing out of you as much as possible. And when they're not, when your spigot is clogged, you better clean it out. Yeah. That's
0: excellent. That was great. What I have come to understand in leading my children as an image bearer, what I want them to follow is what they see of him, not what they see of me in the flesh. And so I do think that we it's human nature. We kind of have, well, this is how it worked for me. So if you just do my recipe, you'll end up with this end product. And the fact of the matter is it's not, that's not the way it is. And as a mentor, I need to be day by day in the word myself, in prayer and in communication with the Lord myself so that he can help guide me, first of all, in my own walk with him. And second, in discernment of what he may have me be able to tell somebody else who comes to me for that. But we, you know, we have to, our way, our way, our way. Uh, His way is the only way for any of us. And the moment that we take ownership of it, as ours, Ugh, then it then we be, then that's where we get the toxicity. I think that you're talking about because we have just yeah. poisoned God's holiness with our humanity. Yes. Um, and I think it's important for
1: women to hear this because women do well together, but women can also be very competitive and adversarial with one another. But I believe for our young adult women, and even for women our age, I'm seeing it more and more because we are such a clip social media, like we can clip things and we can put filters over things and we can change and things like that. It's almost plays with the brain that you think that you don't, it's what goes back to what Caroline said. You don't have a safe place where you get to just be yourself because you feel like there's going to be all this reaction. So even those of us who are mentoring now feel like I have to be all knowing. I have to do this right. And if you could do it like me, but when we assume that another human being needs to do something like us, then we shortchange God. And that means He's common. He's created the same person over and over and over, which He does not do. He's creative. We are each uniquely made in His image. He knows So if I gave my recipe to you, I'm a, I'm saying that He's a liar. We are not individuals, right? You need to do what I do. But what you don't get to see is the back end of me. You're just seeing the front, right? They just see clips and they think, Well, I want to love Jesus like that. I want to do that. And I tell, People have different journeys and you have to just respect the journey and what God's calling is on their life and to walk with them. Your goal is not to make them more like you. It's like an usher in a movie theater with a flashlight. Right. You're just showing them the way to the main event and you're bringing the flashlight and you're guiding them. Their goal is not to be an usher with you. And so I just think that we have to think about that. Sometimes we get caught up because we get power hungry with the flashlight and
2: it's never been about us. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. That's really good. I think also um, a danger in, in getting power hungry in that way is that we're not allowing ourselves to learn. So often in life, the people who I've been called to walk beside and for them to mentor me and me to mentor them back. If I got power hungry and thought that all of my ideas were the correct correct ones, I would never be able to hear what she was saying. I would never be able to say, oh, wow, what's coming out of my mouth right now is actually for me and not for you. And that's how I know it's from the Holy Spirit. That's so good, isn't it? You have to be really raw
1: and open to do You can't think too highly of yourself in order to do that, Right. You have to have a seat on the porch and just say, let me start pulling my boots off with you, right? Because yeah. I'm accumulating some things that are not serving me well either. And that's the lesson. But I'll tell you what, the older we get, and your mom will say, the harder it can be to do that until you just understand what freedom in Christ really means. Because then people have these expectations of you and expectations. Yeah. So what the world comes up is solutions are not always God's solutions. And we just have to delineate very carefully because we lean to our own understanding a lot. And when you don't acknowledge him for every single way, you see the, you see the consequence of that. We, we become pretty high and mighty. And so um, I like that. I like just bringing it down, just bringing it low. <laughs> and then let God be God. He sits high. Just let God be God. Keep our
2: we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Mia had so much wisdom that we couldn't just stop here. We've added a bonus episode that we'll post on Wednesday, so be sure to tune in for the end of this special conversation at the well.